Definitely with the silent eyes there. Hello, everybody. Oh, I'm happy. That is cheering <laughs> up. I'm raring to go. Exactly. I thought that would uh, get everybody blood pumping. It certainly has. And uh, you kind of wish that um, you could see it in the uh, in the um, <laughs> in the studio as we were preparing for today's show. Um, but happy. hello. Everybody, welcome to Mentally Sound here on Gravity Radio Northeast. I will be your host for today, Mr. Stephen Hesse. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can at studio at gravityradio.co.uk. But thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And as of usual, I'm here with my co-host, Hello. the legendary Carol. Carol. <laughs> Hello. Hello. everyone out there. hope you're enjoying the weather. It's gone a bit cloudy, but it's been fantastic. It was supposed to be a mini... Um, heat waves this week I saw in the paper. Let's hope this is not our summer. Let's hope we have some more next week. Oh God, yeah, I know. I know it's like I was. I almost wanted to play. Um, I think it is in the in this in the uh, the show later. Uh, I have um, the boys of summer, and I was kind of hoping it would be summer like today, yeah. but it just isn't. It is miserable in good old. But Newcastle. it's still warm in here. Yes, it is boiling. And our, yeah. our blood is pumping. I can sense that window <laughs> is going to be open at some point. <laughs> it's kind of hot again, isn't it? Yes, it is boiling, but we'll persevere for the benefit of this absolutely great show that we've got lined up. We've got loads to talk about. We've got guests in the studio. Uh, there's one right now, which I'm going to introduce in a second, and Jules has just walked in, who's going to be in the show uh, later on in the second hour, most likely. Uh, we've got loads to talk about, including uh, mindfulness. Uh, we're talking about um, also um, uh, uh, mental uh, eating disorders. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, we also have some eating disorders, uh, which we're going to be talking about as well with Becky. Um, we've got loads to talk about. But first of all, we're going to be talking to one of our great friends of the show, Peter. Uh, uh, Peter yes, and he was on on the first show. So, uh, hello, Peter, aka Black Dog Runner. How, did, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, thank you. I was also enjoying the sun, although, of course, it gets uh, quite sweaty quite quickly when you're on uh, the vaccine, unfortunately. Oh, the the dreaded drug. <laughs> yes, I, have, I was on said drug as well. It was not yeah. the best in the world. Um, so... Can I just inject this? Yeah, of course you can. Be possibly a new item, isn't it, this newsreel between Peter and Yes, ourselves. definitely, yeah. I think it's going to be something quite riveting. We can include a load of stuff that people will be interested out there. Yes, so that's right. I'm here uh, this month uh, to talk about last month, uh, in, terms <laughs> of, in terms of the news at least. It, he's uh, also mentioning he's got a time machine now, yeah. yeah so <laughs> he's talking about last month, this month. Yes, so, um, <laughs> so what, what, is, what have been the big stories in mental health in the last month? Um, in fact, ironically, I think the biggest story has been one that shouldn't have been about mental health. One that a, stu- a tragedy, absolutely. Mm. The the German wings airplane crash. Oh yes, I heard about that. Yeah. For those that don't know, do you want to fill people yes, in about what so it was um, about? That is the that uh, German wing flight four U nine five two five crashed uh, into the French Alps on Tuesday the twenty fourth of March, killing one hundred and fifty people. And that's obviously a very tragic story. Yep, absolutely. Uh, the story really uh, came in terms of the press from the fact that uh, the co-pilot, Andreas Lubitz, uh, locked the pilot out of the cockpit and then uh, manually crashed the plane. And uh, as the investigation pr- uh, proceeded, it turned out that he suffered from depression. Yes. And that's really where uh, the press kind of uh, got overexcited, uh, I would say. We had headlines in the tabloid newspapers like Killer Pilot Suffered from Depression, uh, Madman in Cockpit, Why on Earth Was He Allowed to Fly? Mm-hmm. 
So we go from a story which is a, a tragedy uh, to an implication. Comes quite controversial, yes, doesn't it? Uh, that actually a very crude, a very, I think, very inaccurate implication. Yeah. The people with depression are, to be fair, they're, yeah. they're potentially violent, they're potentially dangerous. And they're not to be trusted. And they're not to be trusted, yes. It's not very good, really, is it? No, I mean, it, it was, it is the perpetuation of stigma that some of us hoped we had sort of got over. Yeah. You know, in the last year or two, there was a sense that the general media were, were getting the message, they were getting the idea. They were on our side, as yeah. it were. Um, and then suddenly you mm -hmm. see something like this, and it's back to... Square one. You know, yeah, back to square one. You know, this, this, this man has depression. Mm-hmm. So... One in five people have depression at some point in their life. You know, he has brown hair as well. <laughs> some, of the, some of the implications and the things that were said. Yeah. Piers Morgan uh, tweeted, yeah. and he wrote in the Daily Mail to say, actually, he thinks no one who takes antidepressant should be allowed to fly a plane. Well, that's quite blatant, isn't it? Uh -huh. <laughs> he's, he's made a blanket decision there. It's stereotyping, isn't it? He's not left any room for people that are not well, basically, to make mistakes. People that are not depressed just do the same thing. You uh, get people that murder yeah. and are not depressed. Uh, so he's been a bit unfair, really. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say we shouldn't base our moral compass on what Piaz Morgan no, says. Nor the hate bot. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> the hate bot. Katie Hopkins, <laughs> who joined in with all kinds of <laughs> bills, which isn't even worth repeating. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, but yes, the... This, this, this sort of idea, um, it shouldn't have been a story about mental health. It's a story about a tragic incident mm. with, a, with, with, with a tragic individual. Um, Absolutely. Who, for all kinds of reasons that we'll never know about, um, uh, crashed that plane. Uh, he had depression, fine. Uh, one in five people have depression. I think we just we have to be so careful in situations like this not to not to perpetuate views like the, the, I mean the truth is that a third of people think that those with depression are, are more likely to be violent. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, my worry is after something like this, people are going to be much less likely yeah. to admit. Actually, I suffer from that as well. Um, you, know, you were a pilot and you're suffering from depression um, <laughs> are you more likely to go and say hey, hang on guys I think I might need some help here mm -hmm. I want to get treatment or are you more likely to try and hide it yeah. well I think as well to go to elaborate on what you just said is that um, I think the problem is as, as well as if it's if it's sort of stigmatised and put up as this huge title in tabloids as being a, a detrimental thing to the point where you're going to crash a plane and kill loads of people is that are people, it, is it reinforcing this, this view of that you can't go and get treatment out of fear of that you've got something that you can't talk about? Yeah. Um, and it kind of reinforces the exact problem of if this person did have a, a serious mental health problem, you know, I think what, it's a really, I, I totally 100% want to reiterate what you just said is that it's a really delicate thing, especially when, when, when innocent human lives are taken as a consequence of this, but, but you have to you have to raise the point of the the really delicate point of is that you need we need to kind of make it much more widely available to get treatment and for us to accept it all as a society to then have somebody who's going to get treatment so they're never going to feel that despair, that much despair mm. for something that they naturally 
feel. Uh, it's awful that they do that, and obviously there's there's different arguments you can make of is it the content of their character, and is he always gonna was he always gonna be like that? Which I think is always what's gonna be perceived and stuff like this. Is this gonna go? He's a, he was a he was a mass murderer. He was a violent tyrant and he was just waiting for an opportunity and and i think what people never ask the question of is 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 that true is that actually an accurate statement also Um, my um downfall in this i think um people are going to look at it negatively people at work because um this was a pilot that was locked in his room and you know say for example he, he was a qualified pilot and he was working and he got ill mentally would he have the backing of his co, um, his work, um, of his management team, mm. and um, you know, would he be safe? And is, is this blanket in that people that go to work, whether they're professional or lay people, are not to be trusted behind um, the steering wheel, for example, or to, on a ward if they're a nurse, just because they've got mental illness, because yeah. they're taking antidepressants and so forth, they're not to be trusted. Yeah. It can open a whole can of worms, this can. Yeah. It's something we need to be very careful about. It's quite Definitely. a Definitely. Especially, thing. Especially when you... This is the thing. I'm, you know, in my day job, I deal with statistics. Mm-hmm. And so this is the kind of thing that irritates me so much, because it's an individual person. Mm-hmm. And you cannot really infer anything at all from an individual person. Mm-hmm. In the same way, actually, you can't do the reverse and yeah. say, on average, on mass, people are more likely to do this, but you still don't know about an individual person. Uh, that annoys me. It annoys me yeah. a lot. It, it annoys me also, um, in, as what you were talking about, this, this sort of assumption of, of we can't trust people. Because, let's face it, this guy, let's say he's not allowed to fly, mm-hmm. or Buzz Aldrin was okay flying a rocket and he had depression and Winston Churchill was okay being in control of the Royal Air Force and he had depression mm. so we just have to be so careful it is delicate you know people die that is tragic yeah. but at the same time uh, we mustn't make kind of very dangerous inferences there were pieces of really helpful coverage there was a fantastic piece um, in uh, <coughs> Commenters Free by Matt Haig um, there was a, another fantastic piece in the Observer on the Sunday, which actually had quotes from Simon Wellesley, basically reiterating all the stuff we're saying. Don't, you know, don't draw ridiculous conclusions from from one individual. Mm. Don't stereotype. Yeah, don't stereotype. You know, but at the same time, the things that most people will see are the big headlines on the tabloids at the top. They're not going to go and read the response articles that we all write. So yeah. That's why it's that's why it became such a big story. That's why it's so tragic. Uh, we just got a tweet saying that you're very quiet. Can you mind turning your mic? You have to put your mic a bit closer to you. Yes. Uh, um, just because um, I've turned it up as far as it can go, and it doesn't seem to be doing any different. I shall I shall try and talk <laughs> louder as well. Okay, cool. I mean, it might be an issue that you might might. I don't know if your mic's completely on, but it, it says that you're when you're talking that you're. You're coming through the, the, the system, but anyway. But yeah, um, I just wanted to say, do you think, do you, I wanted to ask you, Carolis, because I've got, I have a feeling you've got an opinion on it, is that, what do you think about, do you think the fact that, you know, stuff like this ends up becoming a headline about mental yeah. health? Because I, I agree with, I agree with what Peter just said, is that the problem is, is that it, it sort of pigeonholes people who have a mental health problem as saying that, like, we're all going to do that. But it's wrong, isn't uh, it? Yeah, we're all going to do it, and, 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 they don't. It's. It, they also never. They never really look at the approach of that anyone can go out at any time and just you know snap 
regardless yeah. of a mental health issue and have troubles at home or, or whatever it may be or just decide oh. that they don't like life anymore and mental health can, is not involved but oh. very often you find that they they want i just want to finish my point it's just they just they want to they want to they want to make sense of something that is just so unbelievably one-off and yeah. awful is that we try to have a sort of hum- humane aspect to it if that's the right word and i mean do you think that's what's going on there Yes and no. I, I also think um, people believe what they read, basically, and something like this can be quite dangerous. People like to believe the tabloids, they like to believe like the sort of Coronation Street um, scenarios, and um, they don't really like to be in touch with reality. And just taking a little thing like this and saying, oh, we had mental health. You know, say, for example, somebody goes for a job and says on this, you know, Quite honestly, on the um, Christian Vita, you know, I've had mental health or depression in the in the past. This could be an, a negative <laughs> to the new employer, and may think, well, with that going on in the back of his mind, this person crashed the plane. Maybe I shouldn't employ this person. So, it, it's it, we're going into dangerous territory here. Mm-hmm. You know, stigma is is an awful thing, and once it's there, it sticks. It's hard to remove it and break yeah, it down. Exactly. Yeah. But but I think you're absolutely right. We people want. People want answers, people want causes, people want explanations. And, but we don't have time to kind of delve into the complex reality of the world. So we want to be able to say, yeah, okay, he had depression. Uh, that, that's what caused him to do that. End of. And mm-hmm. then, then, of course, the mistake is you start, you really extrapolate that way beyond uh, the frame that you should be doing. You put it in about, you put, yeah, and the problem with that is, is as you're saying about, it, it leads to the, the the more wider point of thinking about life and and everything else. And what people want to do is have this sort of this this conclusion, if you like, to something, yeah. so they can put it in a box. But you don't, you know. One of the things I always like to point out is putting it in a box is 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 a discriminatory stigma in yeah. itself. Yeah. You know, putting it in a box so that it can't. You, so you you know very often when you put things in a drawer you might you don't even remember it's there and you forget about it and neglect it or whatever it is. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happening here. Is yeah. that um. And that's my problem with the sort of finality about saying, oh, it's mental health, let's put it to one side, because then it it reinforces the exact problem. You know, just, it's an awful, awful thing what happened, and I can't bear to think about what's happened to the people who, 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 the parents and and the family who lost their lives. Of course, that's the most important, you know, that's one of the most important things about this and the hardest thing to deal with. But it's almost like not facing the reality of that it happened by just putting it to one side and saying, it's this thing, it can't be anything else. Yes. Um, I mean, ironically, that that's absolutely right. Where was the focus on mm-hmm. that? Yeah, yeah. The focus was on the, the, the pilot. The focus was on his, his mental health. Yeah. And, you know, what does that mean? Really, it should be on the, the, the tragedy mm-hmm. uh, of, the, of the loss of life and, and the, the grieving... Families. Families. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, we must move on. But um, Pia, do you want to stay around and you can be in the next segment as well? Because we, we we never really talked about other stuff as well. So yeah. we'll play the first segment and you can come back in the second part. Um, you cool with that, Carol? Um, is there anything else you want to say before we move on? Or um, but it's um, I guess I want to say just for the benefit of the sh- of the show and everyone involved in it, like our thoughts are going out to all the people in regards to that story and every everything that it affected. And obviously, it's a really difficult thing. But you know, it's obviously a topic that was talked about in the news a lot so we felt the need to cover it especially with it having the mental health angle that it did so anyway moving on uh, i just wanted to quickly ask you because the next song that coming up is um is p diddy i'll be missing you and that yeah. was something you requested and um, do you want to say quickly why 
You like said song because <laughs> it's a classic. <laughs> well, sometimes when I'm missing home, um, I think of my family and I think of those that I love. And um, that can make me feel a bit sad. And by putting this song on, I feel very happy. Mm-hmm. It reminds <laughs> me of... PDD. It reminds me of growing up. It was like, it was number one for about a million, zillion years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's a fantastic song, yeah. So anyway, yeah, so we'll be playing that. And the next the segment we're going to be playing is going to be with Scott. And he's going to be talking about uh, mental health at work, which is an interesting one. And it's actually quite a nice segue to what we've been talking about Um so yeah, uh, so here's Scott uh, talking about um, you know mental health in the workplace, and as I as we just mentioned, the song we're about to play is by P Diddy, and I'll be missing you, and you're listening to Mentally Sound right here on Gravity Radio uh, Northeast. Good afternoon, my name is Scott Scott Latty, and I am one of the contributors for Mentally Sound Radio, uh, a part of Gravity Radio Northeast, which is an amazing uh, project. Uh, Mentally Sound Radio is also well, as I said, my name is Scott, Scott Latty. Uh, I am from down south originally uh, in Hertfordshire, but I live here in Newcastle, just outside of Newcastle, which you've probably told because I don't have a Geordie accent. <laughs> well, why am I here? Why am I here talking to you? Well, Mentally Sound Radio have, have invited me to talk about uh, mental health at work, uh, which you might have heard me on the first show with a gentleman called Bill Scott. We were talking about mental health at, uh, at work, but more predominantly, uh, to something we could relate to, which was uh, ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. But I'm not here to talk to you about that so much about today, because um, I would like to talk to you about uh, mental health at work in general, because let's face it, it is there. You can't hide from it. You cannot maybe see it like you could with a broken leg or someone's got a headache or something that's quite more, a lot more obvious. Um, people have mental health. We all have mental health. We just don't know it. But there are people sometimes that have a mental health problem, which that is an issue. Because one, do they know that they have a mental health issue? If they have, is it hindering them? Is it? Well, what are we going to do about that? And it's not what, we, it's not what that person is going to do about it. It's about us as a collective. So, you know, their managers, the, uh, the, you know, the, the company, do they have processes in, in, t- in place to be able to speak to that person and be able to uh, help that person? Is it in person? Is it over the phone? You know, are we supporting our employees the way we should be? Now, I'm lucky enough that I've got a boss who is, I say boss, he's my manager, sorry, who, uh, who has worked within the mental health field before. He used to be a carer for someone who has uh, autism. doesn't do that anymore. But he has that experience. So he knew and he understands why I am the way I am. Now, I've calmed down a lot in the last however long. But I've had multiple episodes, episodes of depression. Now, that doesn't mean to say that it's not going to hit up again. You know, if I struggle with something or something happens in my life, I'm not going to get that problem again. But the thing is, have I got the things in place? The process is in place to help me. Well, I'm lucky enough, like I said, that potentially I do, either by my, my manager or I have uh, a telephone service, which, if I'm honest, is okay. I prefer person to person, but that is still there. It's a service that is there. I don't think that we, as a country, especially our, uh, our um, pe- people that we work with, companies, corporations, you know, huge, medium, small businesses 
do they have things that can help somebody? You know, do we all know that we have a mental health? Do you know that if you struggle, that you're allowed to admit to it? You're allowed to say, yes, me, I'm struggling. You know, we all sometimes have the blues, they call it Monday. Well, Monday every day, if you're feeling rubbish, um, you know, there's, there's, you don't know, you're not always aware that you're, you're struggling. And the thing is, where does that, what, you know, where does the stigma of mental health, why have we been so afraid to admit when we're struggling? It's scary. We live in a 24-hour society. And as I look outside this window where I am, I see the clouds passing, winds hitting the trees. I think to myself sometimes when you see a, it's going to sound weird, but you see a bird, I think, are there any problems? <laughs> Not in the same way, but I think you get it, you know. So we all go to work, and I do watch people on the bus, and I walk on my way, and I look at people and think, you know, are they strong enough to admit that they're maybe not as strong as they first thought? Or are they okay? You know, maybe I should ask them, but you know, it's not something we do. We have a very uh, walk-and-by type of society. And that's the same at the mental health at work. People are there to do a job. And then when they finish, they walk out. Well, what about in between? You know, if somebody came up to me and said, Scott, do you know what, I'm not feeling great. And it has happened. But do you know what? The one thing I cannot do, and it's, I hate that, I hate this with a passion, is I can't sit down with that person knowing full well that I could help just by listening. Just by listening. Because I have suffered with mental health. And I still do sometimes, but luckily I'm in a better place right now. But why shouldn't I be able to help somebody that needs a listen, needs someone an ear to, to, you know, literally go, do you know what, I get it, I absolutely understand it. Or just listen, just to be the vent person, to go, I'm sorry you feel that way. Let's see if I can help you or let's put you in the right direction. So for me, mental health at work, we have to tackle it. We have to tackle it everywhere. And I mean everywhere, okay? I know for a fact that if I went to my manager or someone higher up, they'd want to know. They would want to know, okay? So what I'm going to say to anybody who's listening to this, and if I'm lucky enough for this to be played uh, at Mentally Sound Radio, um, then I want everyone to know that you're not alone. You can speak up. And guess what? You deserve to be heard. You absolutely deserve to be heard. Don't be hard on yourself. Really don't. Because you are the stronger person than that next person sitting to your left or to your right-hand side. Okay? Nothing around. You know, so you deserve to give yourself a round of applause. Because let's face it, let's give yourself a clap. That takes strength. That takes absolute courage. Okay? And it isn't easy to admit that you're not absolutely feeling great okay i have that problem sometimes and i have to keep myself going i don't do a whole let's get on with it thing i try to accept that you know i'm struggling but you know we're human beings we are real people we're not robots so yes that's what i'm going to be talking to you about maybe a little bit more so um i'm going to wrap this up there'll be more for me i'm sure and i hope that you've enjoyed what i've got to say to you 
Um, but don't forget, everybody has mental health. Everybody matters. Even you do. And guess what? I want you to smile. Smile at the end of this and go, do you know what? Yeah. I'm going to have a great day today. Wicked. So for me, Scott, here at Mentally Sound Radio, part of Gravity Radio Northeast, and I love you and leave you, give you a high five. Ciao. That was a tune. Indeed. Okay. Ooh, that's all right. Guest, Peter Tennant, the second bit of news. Yeah, a bit of cheery, more cheery. Yeah, for those, who are, for those that are interested, that was Real Big Fish, um, one of my favourite bands of the 90s. But anyway, yeah, Peter, carry on. Yeah, I was going to talk about uh, uh, what's actually an excellent, a uh, very simple oh. piece of research that was done. Oh. Sorry. Just making sure you're not. By the BBC News and right. the online journal Community Care. Uh, looking at mental health service uh, budget spending over the course of the last parliament. Um, and so that's since 2010. And what they found was that funding for mental health services have been cut uh, by around 8% in real terms. So it's a very, it's a very sort of cold mathematical finding. Mm. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's about £600 million. But, uh, Carol, we were talking about this yeah. earlier. It's quite sad, really, isn't it? There's a, it has a very real effect on a lot of people's lives, doesn't it? It's detrimental, because don't forget, that money is funding beds, <laughs> mental health beds, people that are in serious crisis. And also, it's funding health centres, day centres. Where are they going to go when they're not well? Mm. You know, it always seems to be mental health that gets axed quite a bit and they need the services more absolutely so we were promised parity of esteem across um, by the end of the uh, uh, coalition government's uh, term and uh, although NHS uh, funding was protected um, what we can see is that in real life mental health um, money obviously has been reduced and presumably moved elsewhere <laughs> Where has it gone? Physical stuff. <laughs> um, I mean, do you think? I mean, the, the real sort of serious point about that is, is it always? I mean, it's kind of obvious to say, but do you think there's, there's an element of? I'll ask to both of you guys this. Do you think there's an element of just that? It's it's going to be very difficult to convince people that mental health should be treated the same as physical ones, because yeah. it always seems to be the first thing that any NHS budget is ever announced it's always about getting more beds and more stuff but never being pacific about what them beds and that are for um it's just like more stuff um not realizing that like you know because you always hear like sort of hints that they're going to do something amazing and then and then next thing you hear is that oh but we're going to be closing this bit and this bit and this bit in order to kind of to sort of make a little bit more of an effort nationally um and and then i just kind of go well but isn't that sort of like um, just sort of pre- preaching to the converted, uh, or whatever the right word, the rod of the right phrase is. I mean, uh, do you think I'm right in saying that, Carl? Yes, I do, because I think, p- personally, um, I know general nursing is very serious, you know, cancer, heart, and what have you. So that's where a lot of the money goes into nursing, you know, the serious um, physical conditions. But mental health, if they invest in that, is a far wider investment because without investing in it it could lead to suicide it could lead to family problems it it leads to 
a total breakdown in society, they need to get the um, basics there first. If they're not going to um, fund mental health, it's, they're going to have, in the long run, a lot more serious problems down the line. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the economics for improved funding of mental health is incredibly clear. Uh, this is, I guess, just uh, desperate uh, NHS trusts that are losing money trying to protect the services that may be politically under the most pressure and as a result it seems to be mental health that's uh, just been chipped away at uh, but 8% is quite you know 600 million pounds is, is a lot of money at the end of the day that's a lot of beds that's a lot of secondary care that leaves people um, in all kind, you know, in all kinds of situations, we're vulnerable. Very vulnerable people. You know, we, we'll have heard so many stories. People we know yeah. waiting for care, mm -hmm. um, and I suppose this situation just demonstrates that that's only that's not got any better. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the the thing that I think the thing that upsets me about it all is that very often politicians use that as a way to kind of get into power to say we're going to deal with this issue and yeah. then completely disregard it. Um, so again. It, I, I think that the, the most worst thing you can do is give people false hope than no hope at all, um, because it just it, it, it exasperates the symptoms and makes it it makes it an even more worse situation than it needs to be. Um, so this idea of that oh there's people who have got no hope, but at least with no hope you can kind of have this I suppose attitude or outlook that like That's well. Yeah, there's the, well, this is the way it's always going to be, but if then someone like sort of op partially opens the door and go, it's going to get better for you, you latch onto that, and then eventually you might, you might, you, and then you suddenly find yourself feeling worse about a situation you were kind of getting okay with, yeah. and, and persevering, I suppose. It's like a sticky plaster. Yeah, band-aid, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. exactly. It's going to be detrimental if you just leave it untreated. Yeah. That's exactly what, what they said doing. to me. That was exactly what they said to me in hospital. They said... Um, the one problem about being in a psychiatric ward or or anything like that is a lot of the nurses said to me like people think there's a finality to it like as in this is going to solve everything and you're going to be you're going to be f cured when you get out of here and you're going to find the magic wand that is the treatment for it and then what people don't realize is you ask people who work in the profession and you ask people like me who are patients it's a band-aid to a much serious problem yeah. because the only way you're ever going to deal with mental health completely is to deal with it outside of there mm, because um, the you lose everything you know you lose i mean Im imagine being in the scenario of i always ask people this question and i'll see what you guys think is that imagine right now if i had control of this entire building and i just suddenly lock the doors and you can't get out of there without getting permission off of me um so you have to like convince me that you're well enough to be yeah. to get to be responsible again and I don't think anyone truly understands how terrifying that is. Like, you know, that you've suddenly lost your liberty and you've lost your freedom to actually go and, you know, and, and once you only ever really feel that when, when it gets taken from you, is because, you know, you'd feel, you sort start to feel grateful when you get it back, I guess is what I'm saying. Is it like a loss of control? Because everybody likes to control their space, don't they, in their life. Yeah. And having that control taken away from you forcibly, it's got to be uncomfortable for anyone in any situation. Yeah. Um, I guess what we're going to do now is because we've got some poetry to, to play um, from Hazel, um, which which are absolutely great. Um, she sent a lot in, and we're going to probably uh, going to be doing some more, showing some more poetry in in the future, um, so you can listen to it. And they're, they're really great. And um, so what I'm going to do is going to play that now. Uh, so you're going to listen to some poetry, and we'll we'll respond uh, back in the studio, and we'll have another discussion about what's going on in the news. So we'll do that. Sorry. 
Yes, also, um, we're going to be talking to... Jules, Jules wants to plug in for his own thing. Um, the, 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 yes, the, uh, he's a poet and he does know it. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, Jules is going to be in later. Um, to going to be doing some poetry later in the second part as well. But first of all, we're going to be listening to Hazel's poetry right now and then we'll be back in the studio and you're listening to Gravity Radio Northeast and this is Mentally Sound. Most of you who are listening will be able to relate to the poetry I'm about to read. It is an account of the years I spent caring for my son, Glenn. You will find a gambit of emotion within these words, a complex mixture of guilt, anger and frustration, love, courage, strength and devotion, and a good dollop of humour. After all, if you don't laugh, you cry, and I think that mental health carers are a special breed, with the ability to laugh at the weird and wacky things the world throws up at them, on a daily basis. I hope that you will be able to take something from what I've written, be it only the fact that you are not alone. Neither are you made of stone, so own your negative as well as your positive feelings. It's okay to do so, and learn to bend and move in whichever way the wind blows, and at all times be proud of who you are and the challenging work that you do. Have you ever thought to yourself, why me? Why me? Why? It's my fault. It must be my fault. I think we all have. We blame ourselves. We are laden down with guilt. And this is my first poem. My fault. Why me? Why me? Why my family? I mustn't have brought them up properly. Why me? Why me? Well, obviously, I've done something wrong. But what could it be? Why me? Why me? I didn't foresee this whole thing evolving, this bleak tragedy. Why me? Why me? God, this agony just goes on and on interminably. When my son was first ill, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know anything about mental health problems. I didn't know where to find help. When eventually I did get help, the problem was that my son had no insight into his illness so it was difficult to get services to see him. It took some time to eventually get any help for him at all. But finally I did, after a lot of waiting, worrying and dithering. My next poem is Hither, Dither, Wither. Dear Carer, Hither to our last communication, we can say your son could be a service user almost any day. We will, however, dither as we don't know what to do. We're not sure if the system that we have applies to you. Whether it's applicable or not, the case may be if he's not a service user, he won't get the AOT. It's hard being a carer and we sympathise a lot, but he's not a service user and can't access what we've got. We sent him out appointments, but he didn't follow through. You said he wouldn't come along, so we already knew. 
The waiting list for therapy is not even in the frame, as he's not a service user, and he won't play the game. Hitherto your meeting with the doctor, things look good, but we'll dither for a little while, because we think we should. So whether things improve or not is really hard to say. I'm sure he'll be a service user almost any day. To sum up and reiterate and finally go through, regard your situation as a real catch-22. So technically, a service user isn't at this stage allowed to use the services if he won't engage. So there you see you have it. It really is quite clear that he's not a service user, but he's definitely near. We do hear what you're saying. His life's gone down the pan. I hope that you appreciate we're doing what we can. The purpose of this letter is simply to explain your son will not be dealt with until he's quite insane. That's usually the reason we dither and we wait. He'll then be in the system and we can medicate. We'll tell him what we're doing, though he won't understand, and any information for the carer will be banned. As confidentiality is prime rule number one, I'm not allowed to give my name. Sincerely yours, Anon. Open your mind. Gravity Radio, in association with Mental Health Northeast, brings you a radio show on the second Friday of every month. Mentally Sound, a unique community show focusing on a subject which affects all of us, will air 2 till 4 p.m. Mentally Sound will talk to people around the Northeast about mental health, exploring the myths, raising awareness, asking and answering the difficult questions, voices of hope, with music, poetry and stand-up comedy. Mentally Sound on the second Friday of every month on Gravity Radio Northeast in association with Mental Health Northeast. Open your mind. Hello everybody, welcome back to Mentally Sound. I am Stephen Hesse, your host for today. If you want to get in touch with uh, us at the studio, you can at studio at gravityradio.co.uk and you can follow us on Twitter, which is at underscore mentally sound, which I am a fan of following. <laughs> it is awesome. Yes, and everybody else. Um, yeah. We, yeah, we're still in the studio with Peter and Carol. Hello guys. Hello. Um, so yeah, poetry, um, with Jules coming on as well, I thought this would be a nice sort of segue because we just played some brilliant, um, poetry f from Hazel. Um, what you, what's, I know you're a fan of poetry, like, do you want to, do you want to uh, sort of explain why poetry means something to you? Um, it's I find it very therapeutic, the best poetry I write is basically when I'm upset, <laughs> but it's not always really bad, sad things, the, the things I write about is scenery, love, family life people, children. I write positive things, but the best poetry I write is always also comes out when I'm really upset. Yeah. It's very therapeutic and I feel better once I've got it down on paper. I wouldn't call myself a poet. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> uh, but I would say that there are times where my the thoughts in my head I can't really express them in any other way. It just yeah. sort of comes out in this in this unusual format and, and it, it forms a sort of poem. Yeah. Uh, it certainly doesn't form a, a, a coherent kind of news blog or what I usually end up writing. No, I, li I like Poe. Yeah. Poe is someone. Oh, sorry. Poet, I'm a bit loud. Poet fan. 
Yeah, I'm a huge poet. I'm a huge poetry fan. I mean, um, there's a there's a there's a it's a real there's a real booming poetry scene right now. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I keep making this argument of actually, I think it's like out of like comedy and various other things, it's the most sort of popular thing right now in Newcastle. It's just absolutely yeah. booming. I mean, I know so many people who are poets and um, promote poetry, and um, it's really nice as well because like you know we're getting you know some not just not just people locally who want to become po- poets, but also like in the national scene there's people yeah. coming here to 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 showcase the poetry as well who are like well-known ones i mean um i don't know if you ever heard of a girl called i'm trying to get her on my podcast um called fanny walker um she was yeah. the um bbc poet of the air like last year i think it was um and i saw her i saw her in newcastle she came and did a show um in newcastle and um she was absolutely brilliant um what what amused me was she called that pamphlet i'm trying to i'm trying to pay for my play for a plumber pamphlet (laughs) 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 i think it might have even been as 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 brutal as um i'm uh, my toilet's broke or something i can't remember what it was my toilet's broke and i need to play for a plumber plumber pamphlet and it was a pamphlet (laughs) of all her and i got her to sign it i got her to sign it at the end because i like She's absolutely immense. So, um, free plug for her. I really think uh, people should check her out. She's awesome. Nice to have her on the show, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be great. I'll, um, yeah, I'm sure I'll ask her. Um, I know because um, she's often she's often up here. So, um, but have you any more stories? I know you said you had three stories. I mean, oh, sorry, we've only yeah. we've only done two, I think. So, uh-huh. do you want to mention another one? Yeah. So the third one, I thought we'd try and be a bit more cheerful after the mental health cuts and the plane crash, and, and move on instead to. We're all rich, yay! (laughs) (laughs) Trying to depict mental health in a slightly more positive way. Yeah. Um, And this is, it's actually something that is kind of both always in the news and didn't get in the news at all, Mm -hmm. in that um, it was Time for Change uh, launched a campaign called Get the Picture. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind it is to change the image that we always see I'm sure you guys will have seen this. Yep. Um, when you read a mental health article. Oh, I'm glad we were bringing this up. I saw exactly what you are on about. Yeah. And yeah, that yeah. is the, the image of man or woman with their head in their hands. Yeah. The, yeah. Head, the so-called head clutcher. So it's in the news. And, the, you know, any time you see anything, especially about depression. Mm-hmm. So I've even got to the point where I can recognize the same people. Yeah, it's it's literally become a clip art of de- a clip yeah, art of depression of depression uh, pictures. Yeah, uh, and, and, and such a great point. The attempt is to say, you know, actually, this isn't the real life. It's not reality, is it? No, we don't no. all look like that, do we? Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, well, professionals. <laughs> I was trying to think, when do I ever put my head in my hands like that? You know, I've had depression for I don't. 15 plus years. Um, maybe, maybe you know, something's gone really wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, you, and it, oh no. You sort, of, you sort of put your head to your hands. But... I don't think I've ever you done it. I've never done, done it. Done a head no, I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously, you know, I've, I've had. I've, I've had. I would say two serious, like you know, yeah. hospitalised breakdowns in my in my life, and it's interesting because yeah, th- this idea of head in your hands, I, I, I've never really understood it. Yeah, I don't actually think, and also the. It's portrayed in movies a lot, where yes. where um, where like you you fall to your knees and like why why and it's just like and you're like no I I never really do that you usually you cry I yeah. mean you cry you uncontrollably overwhelmingly cry um, to the point where you feel like you can't cope and yeah. and 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 yeah but um, 
it's a lot more like sort of screaming, I would say, than, than anything, you know. Um, it, it, it's it, but it's very, it's never sort of like. Do you know what I find interesting about that? And I only just thought about it when you just said it because it was it really got me thinking when you sent me what we were going to talk about. Um, was this idea of it's a physical action again? Yes. Do you know what I find so interesting about that? It's it's yeah. it's a it's a it's a physical action of literally putting your head in your hands to signify something that's in the mind. Mm. So again, we're They're using a, a, a an, an image, a physical image and a physical movement to kind of correlate to what mental health feels like because we just can't... It's, it's, it's unfortunate we don't have like this, this laser that can give people feelings of what you feel like at the time because that's the best way... That would be the best way of, yeah. the, of letting people know what it feels like. Yeah, but all we have is words and pictures and, and all that kind of thing. But... Um, but yeah, do you think, I think, because this, this got me thinking when you sent me this, and I want to know what you guys think, is do you think it's better to have an image of somebody happy and doing something like amazing and constructive, like, I don't know, yeah. skydiving, I don't know, something like, something that's regarded as adventurous and fun and happy in life, yeah. and then sort of saying, oh, by the way, this guy has a chronic mental health problem. Is it better tackling it that way and going positive, but they have something that deals with them? Because a lot of the time when we try and teach people about mental health, it's like, here's an image, like we sort of force them to go, this is the down in the dumps version of it, rather than we promoting the other side of it, which is where we're all capable human beings, we just go through something every day that is very difficult to cope with. Well, and I don't know what you what, I don't know what you think. That's life. I, yeah. I, I think there should be something positive someone like myself parachuting <laughs> you, you know, parachuted no i want to all right it's oh, my long dream i'm going to very soon let's all do it let's all do it <laughs> something really constructive and something out there or bungee jumping something positive i'm terrified of doing that but i think if I we got if we all guys got together we should all do it <laughs> well, maybe need a few anti-anxiety pills <laughs> <laughs> the venla vaccine <laughs> Yeah. So then the vaccine all are readily available yeah, before we... Yeah. There'll be plenty of sweat. <laughs> yeah. no, I, I would you do it like, would it be free? Would it be yeah. a free parachute jump or would you, go, would you do no. it on the back of someone else? No, I want to do a free parachute jump on my own. Because I love heights. Oh, you love heights. And, and I'm okay. going to do it. I'm staying suspiciously quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Black Dud Runner is literally on a runner right now. He does not want to be involved in this comment. Um, but I, I'm terrified of heights, but I have this theory that, like, I think if you face your fears like eventually I think if I did something like that I may be a little bit more or less vulnerable well, to it, I but actually, anyway. uh, deliberately did a sort of stand up comedy uh, a couple of years nice ago good to for you to try and really get past I was trying to throw away any remaining fear public speaking I yeah yeah if I can do that if I can stand up and try and make 150 Geordies laugh <laughs> then, yeah. then which is hard at the best of yeah, <laughs> well actually they were all quite drunk so it wasn't the <laughs> 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 um, that helps but, but but if I can do that, then then um, you know hopefully I can do anything. Mm-hmm. But but again, I have wondered about that. I was depressed at the time. Yeah. You know, I went up on stage. I made loads of people laugh. I walked off. I was depressed. At the yeah, time. yeah. So interesting. There, I have tried to share different images. The positive thing is difficult because you have to careful, be careful not to go too far the other way. We we, we just don't want a stereotype. We just want you know mixed experiences mm-hmm. yeah. we're just people yeah we all do different things we don't sit there with our head in our hands well, I we don't sit there going over the top doing really excitable things we just live life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I tend to find I'm most creative when I'm depressed I yeah. do my best painting my best poetry my best Great singing point. 
I do. I'm, I'm a very creative person when I'm depressed, and I don't want to change that. I don't well, want to change that creativity. Barely anything at all. <laughs> 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 um, I don't know though, but I think yeah, I always think I have this sort of theory that um, that I think that one the benefit, as Carol's just touched on, is that you do kind of. I, I think the, the 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 difference I try to say to people who don't have a mental health problem is to say that it's kind of like you have it's almost like you have a bigger spectrum of what, what you can be like you know yeah. we have a more we'll just have a more overwhelming sight to us and yeah. you know like so because I, cause I totally understand what Carol's saying if I'm in a if I am aware that my illness is affecting me my disorder is that my bipolar disorder then it, I can be incredibly creative to the point where you know I can't I literally can't stop the, the, the content and, and, and it's not just content for content's sake it's actually like some of my best stuff happens in that period yeah. um, but also the doubt but I guess that's the point to go back to the images is that you know we should maybe have more images of that of someone being ultra creative because of a mental health yeah. uh, um, thing rather than have an image of someone at the worst of times because I think that's what I mean by spectrum we have high production but then the worst production is in with the most unreliable. You can argue the most unreliable people at the t- at the time were were were, were, were worst. So I guess we just we're at the, we were at the extreme of both ends, and I think that's the problem is that people people struggle to yeah. to want to know more about it because we 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 give the extreme. I'm often I'm often said when you know people who have met me have said. You know, you're the greatest person to hang out when you're well, but then when you're bad, it's almost like, you know, suddenly you realise who your friends are because you yeah. get pushed away. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start realising that, like, oh, actually, I'm struggling here. And then they <laughs> suddenly forget all the great times I've gave them, and it's just like, well... <laughs> well your real friends will appreciate you yeah, for yeah. What, yeah. what sort of person you are, and they will appreciate your creativity. Yes. They will know about your highs, and they will be there for you um, when you've got your lows. And actually, that's one of the things the photos because I, I went through the gallery what type of change I've done is produce mm. a gallery of photos to use as alternatives you know nice. don't, don't yeah, yeah. keep using this, the same photo of someone with a head in their hands you know here's some others that are actually a little bit more realistic mm-hmm. so they have mm. people sat with a cup of tea having a chat with someone else that, 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 you know my experience of depression is much closer to that yeah, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get some of these thoughts out of me they might find it really difficult listening to me but yeah. you know equally there's, there's photos of people in therapeutic settings yeah, yeah. there's photos of people just looking things up on the internet another thing that I do quite a lot yeah, yeah. suffering from different symptoms mm-hmm. much more realistic of the life experience of what maybe mental health brings but I think what they really want ultimately is a photo that's relevant to the news article yeah yeah <laughs> Does that sound too much? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's very... Sim- I mean, it's, it's such a great point you just made because it's it's similar to what we talked about with titles. Yeah. The title earlier about the Absolutely. plane crash, it's just like it, we they want a, wor- they want a headline that's, that's mm. powerful yeah. and they want an image that's just the same way. Yeah. So, yeah, it's do- it's that's what happens in journalism yeah. is that they come up with the most extreme examples. And, and then we've, we've spent all that um, time and effort getting them to actually improve the content of what they're talking about. <laughs> the headline and the photo are still the, <laughs> the bit most people yeah, hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stigmatizing. So, yeah, even if they don't read the article and read the context of it, yeah. prejudged, pre-judged what's happened. Yeah, negative. So, yeah, let's be more positive, people. Yeah, yeah let's... Well, um, uh, Carol, let, you know, you can go skydiving. <laughs> I yeah, will, yeah. I will indeed. Totally. I'll let you know when I do it. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, good for you. I mean... You I can come and cheer me on now. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely cheer <laughs> yeah. you on. Yeah. Blackbird run on the runway. Blackbird run on the runway going... 
going, good luck, Harold. <laughs> Miles away. He, he's like, he's scared for you. He's like, oh. Hiding in my kennel. Yeah, yeah, hiding in your kennel. <laughs> um, I want to uh, mention to you guys, we're going to play the next segment now, which is uh, Kyle, uh, Kyle talking to Becky about, um, about, um, about an eating disorder. Um, and it's really interesting that, like, um, eating disorders are very often what's mentioned in an interview because I happen to produce this 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 interview. Um, it's often looked at. One of the things that they tackle on is the fact that in magazines it's always women that are, are put, like or, that are that are um, looked at as having anorexia and various other things. And and Kyle obviously is a young lad. He's like I think he's eighty. He's about eighteen and he's had it for. You know he's had an, I think it's anorexia that he has and and he's been suffering from it for like three or four years and he talks about the fact that like it's always related to females going back to images it's yeah, always yeah. the first thing you see is an eating disorder and you automatically you know we've been brought up with this idea of i mean do you think the same as me is that you you look at it and go soon someone thinks eating disorder you, your first image is, yeah. a, is a is of a model yeah. or or is it's a it's a female gender and uh, all the time and i think those kind of un- those subconscious images that come into your head yeah. All those subconscious associations. That's what the, the most dangerous stigmatizing things are actually doing. They're tapping into those first thoughts mm-hmm. and, and just subtly changing them so that, that we're not really fully aware of the, the real real life situation. Mm-hmm. And but then we, we, we end up with stereotypes and assumptions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Eating disorders um, affects everyone. Yeah. Young people. So young people in general. So you're going to get male and female. I have an eating disorder. Those images are out there of people looking young, trendy and beautiful and you've got male models and you've got female models so eating disorders is going to hit home hard for both sexes. Yeah. You I just say you had like it. me who were neither y- young, trendy nor beautiful. Mm-hmm. Aww. <laughs> oh, you are, my dear. You're a sexy man. Don't, don't, I'm not having this on the show. <laughs> 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 me and Black Dog Runner are going to get to know each other more during the break. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> mentally sound. <laughs> <laughs> not here, you're not. Uh, no, um, but um, but in a se- but in a serious point, but in a serious point, like, but in a serious point, yeah, down boy, yeah, <laughs> good, good way of doing it. But but in a serious point, Carol, uh, the reason I bring this up is because obviously we're gonna hear from a from a male perspective, which is rare yeah. in this. But from your perspective, like looking at looking at magazines and yeah. and all this kind of stuff in relation to eating disorders, yeah. I mean. How do you feel from a from a woman's perspective in regards to the way that, like, I mean, it seems to... I can tell you from my own perspective. Yeah, go for it, yeah. To be quite honest here, um, I had an eating disorder when mm-hmm. I was about 14, and my mother controlled mine because um, she was too ashamed to take me to the doctors, and I had actually anorexia nervosa. Eventually, she did take me because I was um, just about to turn 15, and I was four stones, and I, but I did put weight on. But now I've gone the other way. <laughs> I've no longer got anorexia because it's a lifelong battle. I'm now mm-hmm. bulimic. So, um, but I'm starting to lose weight now. I'm in more in control of my food. And I think it's governed by your emotions. Mm-hmm. If you're feeling quite rubbish, you either turn to food or you'll starve yourself because you, you think having that lovely slim body means that you're accepted and liked and loved and perceived by the world Such as normal. That's a great point. Um, there's a lot of stuff in the segments coming up. We're going to be um, there's a segment we're doing in, uh, uh, later on in the show about um, LG, LGBT and um, uh, I tweeted about this yesterday when I was ed- when I was uh, doing some final editing for it and um, they talk about something similar. That it's always interesting that you get like a, again a physical you get you get physical ramifications for having an eating disorder. 
yet they talk about in LGBT and 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 in this interview in this segment we're just about to play about the aspects of your mind is there is is what is influencing what you're doing you know you know you're you're in control of one you're, if you're in control of anything you're in control of what you what you intake what yeah. your what you what your what you do to your body you know you have some sort of say in that um, you know, you can't have a say in what you think, but you haven't. You're you're in control of what you're in control of what you eat and and consume. Um, but everyone focuses on that rather than the actual thought process of why you think it. And it's such a fascinating topic, yeah. and it got me really sort of interested in it. So yeah, I think there's a nice segue to do the segment. But um, I think we're going to have Jules on in the next bit. So um, are you, anything you want to say, Black Dog Runner, before you go? Because it's it's been great having you on. It's been oh, nice it's, and insightful. It's been a- Pleasure to be here. Nice. Just thank you very much for giving me the, the chance to talk about this mm-hmm. uh, cheerful uh, set of news. Yay! Yeah. I know, yeah, it was really fun. We're gonna <laughs> learn, we we learned we learned Carl was a daredevil. We learned yeah. <laughs> We learned that um that you like to hide in kennels <laughs> when it's dark and dreary. <laughs> you don't like heights. Yeah, you do, yeah, something we both share. And uh and uh, um, but yeah, hopefully you'll be on the next. Are you going to be on the next show? We should do no, the do the same again. It would be awesome. But thank you so much, Black Dog Runner. Um, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Peter. It has been an absolute pleasure. Um, so yeah, we're going to play the next segment now. Like I said, this is an interview with uh, Kyle, uh, which was done by uh, one of our collaborators, Becky. Uh, he actually is going to be talking to him about eating disorders. And what's interesting is it's from a young person's perspective. Um, so yeah, I'll let you listen to that. Um, so thank you so much for tuning in. You're listening to Mentally Sound right here on Gravity Radio Northeast. Hi, I'm Becky. I'm here to talk to Kyle today about um, his experiences with eating disorders. Uh, would you like to tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm Kyle. From, I'm 18 from South Shields, Newcastle Town and Weir. Um, I suffer from an eating disorder, specifically anorexia, for about four or five years. Um, but I have been recovered about three years now, so obviously, which is a really good thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely though. Um, that's great to hear. But um, obviously, as a guy, it's um, less um, heard about to suffer mm. from anorexia. How have you found that sort of um, Yeah, I mean, I think even as a sufferer at the time, it was strange. I think that was more hard to accept, in my opinion, because it was well known as a female illness. So um, everyone was always under that illusion that I couldn't really have an eating disorder because I was a male. And I think I sort of was led by that um, at times. Did you find that people were sort of more dismissive of it then? Um, yeah, I think I noticed that people would act sort of as well. It wasn't happening, sort of just brush it off. Mm-hmm. Because I was a male and it wasn't, as I say, no one from from any sort of any kind. Yeah. Yeah. So it just seemed easier to sort of just palm it off and just say that, you know, this can't be happening because he is a male, not a female, and it is female illness. Did you find that through treatment at all or was it quite um, I uh, felt that the staff were very accepting of the fact that I was a male because there was male patients in the past in the hospital so yeah. I think from a professional point of view it was sort of their role to yeah. be accepting You things. had to really travel for treatment didn't you? Yeah um, there was no hospitals that dealt with that specific illness, so I had to travel to Scotland, which is about a three-hour drive. That must have been really hard at quite a difficult time for you. Yeah, um, I've never really been one to be away from home, so it was quite hard, and I used to go away on school trips and so 
it was it was strange to be away from home. So were you were you staying in a unit up there then? A what sorry? Were you staying in a unit up there? Yeah, it was it was sort of living sort of thing. Sort of we had a bed where um, I think the reason obviously other than the fact that there was no way that local I did do treatment was because of beds and stuff yeah. in the general hospitals because I've been in a general hospital for weeks if not months I think um, in the local area um, but when looking for specialist treatment obviously the nearest was Scotland and obviously we were going to place that had beds. So obviously you mentioned that you were moved around from hospital to hospital yeah. but you were, were you staying in the hospitals then? Yeah, yeah. Um, I used to get um, home leave at the hospital at Scotland, Huntercombe. Um, but previously, before it were general hospitals, it was more just I was in there and I wasn't getting to go home. Um, but they didn't manage to treat you at all in the general hospitals? Or? Um, we tried it, but it was more just basically sort of bringing meals. It wasn't mm. suited to a relevant illness that was more just you're in the general hospital so we'll have to give you meals and stuff like that sort of thing. Um, How did you yeah. find it when you then moved to a more specialised unit? Um, obviously it was quite hard because I was by that point very caught up in the mindset. Um, from my parents' point of view apparently I was, it just wasn't me at that point. Um, so obviously it was quite hard to accept because I was sort of taken over by the illness, so treatment wasn't really something I wanted at the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was difficult to accept because, as I said, I, well, I would say I didn't want it, but the mindset I was in at the time, just any form of treatment wasn't a way to sort of go at the time. Did you see weight gain as a sort of failure then at that time? Um, yeah, I suppose so. Um, Weight gain was one of those things that sort of I couldn't let it happen because I was so wrapped up with the illness and the mindset and all of this and the numbers and what would happen if this happened if I gained weight, what would, what would happen. Um, so it's one of those things where I felt like I had to prevent that from happening. Yeah. And if I didn't, then something bad was going to happen as a result of that. So comments on your recovery must have been hard then. Yeah, things like you look yeah. well must have been quite tricky. Yeah, well, things like that sort of. I found that at the time we're blown out of proportion, so simple comments like you look well were sort of generating something else. Mm. So, obviously, when comments like that did sort of occur, I would sort of break down because it was really hard to accept comments like that. Did you see that more as a sort of like you look larger than that sort of thing? Yeah, because I, I think I'd totally forgot the concept of what is normal mm. if it is such a thing as being normal um, so being told you look well for me was quite overwhelming because I didn't know what well means uh, so uh, well my mindset for you is being as you see maybe maybe larger than I actually was so how would you say that what you think of as normal is sort of what would you define that as now I don't know I don't really view anyone as normal it's more just it's sort of what is normal for that person because everyone's got their own view of normal sort of things so I would just go with sort of on a mutual basis sort of individual basis not just a one overall view sort of thing if that makes sense 
Yeah, because um, obviously when we talk about anorexia, a lot of the yeah. time people talk about women and them being influenced by magazines. Have you ever yeah. felt an influence in the media at all? Um, personally, I don't think it was at all reflective media or magazines or anything like that because personally for me it was it was bullying in uh, primary school. Okay. Um, but I wouldn't say that media played a part at all yeah. with my um, like development of eating disorder over time. It's a real misconception, isn't it? Yeah. I think um, at first even I thought that it was a media-based type of thing. I know it was inflicted by media or people wanting to, to be this image, but really it could be things like bullying or maybe family troubles or past troubles. Elements of, of control yeah, as well, yeah. like that sort of dietary control if you can't control other facts of your life. It's yeah. a very complex thing to understand. Yeah. yeah, well it can be something totally different and then develop into the image mm. um, control, but it doesn't have to start yeah, at, at all anything that relates to that. So mm. sort of one thing and then just moves on to something totally different. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Well, it's, it's been really nice talking to you anyway. Yeah, um, you too. Hello, Thank welcome back. Sorry. Back in Gravity Radio Studio. This is Carol. I'm just about to interview Jules. Jules Clare. He's a very well known poet. Hi, Carol. Hello, Jules. Nice to meet you. Again. Very well. <laughs> we discussed about that. Yes, we're backing up about it. <laughs> private joke. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I can tell. I can tell. Yesterday. Cool. Okay. Um, Jules is going to read us some of his well known poems. Mm-hmm. I'm touching some of them. Is that it? Am I going straight into my poetry? Well, no, I was, well, I mean, we're going to have a little bit of a chat beforehand, if you okay. want. Um, do you want to just sort of mention... Fire away, son. Oh, I'm firing away. <laughs> um, but, well, first of all, do you want to sort of introduce yourself and... and change your T-shirt first, by the way. Change my T-shirt? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's referencing the fact that I'm wearing a red golf shirt, which has a rude word on. So no one, so no one's been, um, no one's been taking any pictures of me in the studio. But yeah. So um, so I suppose a little bit of backstory about you, Jules, so people know who are listening about um. Uh, concisely, uh, had a brain hemorrhage on the first of October 1995. I've lost my voice because I was digging all day. I'm not allowed to mention the place because <laughs> I'm friends with Carol. Um. Uh, brain hemorrhage, as a result, I went into self-pity mode and I was labelled by these horrible people, no, nice people, horrible <laughs> people, depending on which way you look at it, in white coats with bipolar mood disorder. Yeah, really, I'm quite normal. I am eccentric, but I'm normal. Gotta be eccentric mm. to be a poet. Um, I've been in psychiatric hospitals for seven years of my last 19 and a half. Mm. That's a long time, so I know a lot, lots and lots about the mental health system. Um, a lot of experience to share. The best thing about going being in a mental health system, in the mental hospital, is the service users. Mm-hmm. They, Why do you say that? Why? Because they've got some stories to tell, and because I like to cheer people up, and you know, I'm doing a good job even there on the ward. Yeah. In Argyle and Hospital in Lock Gilpin in Scotland, I was doing great. I was doing concerts for them. Yeah. Scheduled ones. Do you find it interesting, Jules, because I've been in a, a psychiatric ward myself, and, and do you find it interesting that whenever you kind of have a, a cheerful 
approach to things and treat them normally that that the 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 the, the opposite kind of happens and that they kind of go they almost say that nothing's wrong because you you're, you're treating them normally which is kind of obviously not common in a place like that do you find that strange because i did when i was there it didn't happen like that for me Stephen. Mm-hmm. if you're open i'm a very open person okay. yeah you are um they trust you, so they end up t- treating you like a counsellor, and they tell you everything that they wouldn't tell anybody else. Mm-hmm. Of course, I, um, I um, confide, I never write stuff like that in my poetry, mm-hmm. it all helps to write brilliant poems. Yeah. One of my poems today is going to be to my good friend DJ H, A&S, <laughs> uh, it's called Am I Normal? And it's all about him, and he's got schizoaffective disorder, but he's my best mate. And there's a story for you. Mental health should not hold you back. He's a DJ. He's had 1,100,000 views on YouTube. Cool. So that's something positive. Exactly, not yeah. Not the head-holding mm-hmm. image. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, so what got you, you know, I saw this. I missed the part. I lost the question there, sometimes. No, no, that's fine. No, you answered it. It's good. That's cool. I uh, just wanted to ask you about, like, sort of, because it's always interesting to hear how people ended up getting into poetry. So oh, when was the first time you, when was the first time you did it? I was at the county hospital in Durham. Mm-hmm. It's no longer there. It's actually the was the best ho- mental health whatever hospital in the northeast, I believe. But they closed it. They do that. Don't, don't the NHS have no idea about people? Mm-hmm. Service users. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, it was attached to a proper day centre, social services day centre. In other words, people have been discharged. Go there every day. Yeah. It's called Waddington Street, it's in Durham, yeah. and uh, you have to be referred to go there, but when you're ill, you need someone to talk to, socialise with, and that's what they do. They have, um, like, walking groups, music music groups, painting groups, and mm-hmm. one of them was a writing group, and I went along and I never knew I could write, and he just told me to write, and that was it, and that was nine years ago. Not the best. Nice. Not well. No, I haven't. Onwards and upwards. Yeah. Cool. Uh, even, I've even been uh, like Carol. I've even been in the shambles, haven't I? Yes, you have. Look <laughs> <laughs> at <of> that now. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Oh, that's really that's really good. Again, again, as Carol has been pointing out when people have been talking on the show, it's like a positive out of a difficult this situation. Really yeah. This is amazing. The coincidence. Carol and I. Come on. <laughs> Interruption. Uh, there's a handbag that can talk. <laughs> um, probably a, a twin sister. <laughs> oh, other sisters, younger twin. Anyway, can I just say it's a coincidence? Carol and I went to the same school, didn't we, Carol? Yes, but can we talk about that another time? Oh, right, you can't talk about that. Right. Cool. Um, in whatever we're from, and that's it's nowhere near here. Mm-hmm. Down south somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right, shall I start a poetry? Yeah, cool, yeah. Um, you got to get about another few minutes, so yeah, if you can do... Fair enough, yeah. Go ahead. I've already dedicated to this diary, but I also want to get dedicated to Kath Fallon, mm-hmm. who's listening. She's got mental health issues, and to Carla. Yeah, man, big it up for you. And Karen. And even Ken Goddard, the private detective from Crook. Right, are you ready? Yes, we are. We are ready. Go I'm for it, John. Am I normal? Schizoaffective disorder. A very complex personality. Highs and lows. OCD. What the hell's wrong with me? I am frightened of a knock on the door. 
I roll up like a ball on the floor. I am full of dread, so I hide in bed, wishing I was dead. And that's just on a good day. The devil is my CPN. He rises up behind the sofa. He slides it in real deep. He fills me with powder and solvent and lots of glory through the eye of his needle. When I get up, I hear voices. I'm not allowed to make personal choices. They make me paranoid. They make me very annoyed. I wish they would go to hell and I could always be well. So-called normal, just like you. My alcohol intake keeps me awake, but it's a coping strategy that I can't afford to forsake. A strategy that I do not fake. I blame it on the pills they make me take. Stress makes my brain boil and bake. My life is not as easy as a piece of cake. I need to take a gambling break because of all my mental heartache. But most of all, I need to give my head a shake. When I get really bad, the doctors think I'm mad. I get a fright when admitted by men in black at night. They lock me up in a metal cage which generates personal rage. They fill me up with drugs and give me no hugs. They lock me up and throw away the key and it's only darkness that I can see. I see an experienced psychiatrist, dull and grey, when she can be bothered to come out to play. Why does she receive such an exorbitant rate of pay when my treatment consists of lying in bed all day? An injection up the bum, no harm done. They ask me vague questions which make me cry, whilst all the time I'm thinking that I'm going to die. I don't know how much more I can take. I'm already burning in hell, and Satan is waiting for me at his gates. That was excellent. Brilliant that was deal. really, really You're good. Welcome. Really poignant. Any questions? How, how, how could you relate to that, to how you felt when you was in hospital? Great question. Well, that's... What do you mean? Cause it's not about me, it's about your friend. I know it's about your friend, but is there any truth in that? Yes. To so how you felt... Well, I wrote it. I know so you wrote it. So that's what it's like in hospital. Yeah. That is, from my perception, it's not... Hopefully, listeners out there, that's... Some hospitals may have done you good. Uh, leave a tweet for Gareth and tell, tell him if it's true. Uh, that's my experience, and I've been in four hospitals for seven years, and you know the best person in that hospital for counselling was, was the priest. Mm. Had time for you. Doctors had five minutes a week, and all they did was say, well, these tablets aren't working. After two weeks, we'll change into another one. And that's bad for your body, makes you fat, fail. And they don't know what the drugs are doing to your body, and all they're interested in is the drug company money, mm. and their white sports cars, and their expensive suits, and their I'm better than you attitude. We're all equal, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, time. We are. Well, the priests seem to have a better bedside manner and more time for you than the doctors well, that's did. That's what they should all They get paid enough to have time, don't they? Yes, yeah. they, they do, but it's not always practical. Cool. Um, we're really pressed for time, Jules. Yeah, so you want to do your last? No, no, no. If you want to do one, you do. Go, go, if, uh, how, how long is it? Do you know? 
<laughs> he literally shows me the pit. Yeah, cool. I'll let you do. Yeah, could you do one more, and then that'll be it. Sorry. Have you heard of the Queen? Have I heard of the Queen? Mm. Yes. Have you heard of the Queen Pop Yes. And this one's based on a song by the Queen Pop Oh well, that have to. You you sold it to me. Do it. <laughs> it's called After the Song. I want to break free. Ah yeah. Should have had the music in the background. <laughs> I want to break free. I'm so self-satisfied. Far too focused. Too selfish. Too me, me, me. My consultant psychiatrist knows I want to break free. This time he knows it's for real. It's strange, but it's true. Mental illness doesn't make me feel blue. I have to be sure that when I walk out those locked doors, I have to be free. But life still goes on. I can't get used to myself. I don't want to live on my own. God knows. My consultant psychiatrist knows, and God knows, I've got to make it on my own. So can't you see? I've got to break free. Oh, Fantastic, Jules. Wonderful. Really good. Great. Poetry is awesome. Uh, thank you so much for coming in, Jules. You're always welcome uh, back on the show. Um, and thank you so much for, for taking the time. Thank you for yesterday as well. We have no idea what that means. <laughs> Again, all these all these in jokes, uh, all these private jokes. We had a nice drink. Get a room, guys. Squeezed half an hour into me, know. Yeah, thanks, Jules, for coming in. I really appreciate Thank it. Thanks you. for your poetry. Thank you. Um, the next uh, bit that we're going to be doing uh, is a segment on the LGBT. Um, the, uh, this is an interview with Alistair where he talks about um, uh, all the stuff the organisation does and has some information about how you can... Uh, how you can get involved and, and talk to them. Um, have you ever um, dealt with, uh, have you ever been involved in LGBT at all, or at least know about them? Yes. Obviously Pride and various other things. Yes, I've volunteered at Pride for right, two cool. years, and also I've done some work via Alistair. Oh, um, yeah. Obviously through Pride, and I volunteer at um, Launchpad. So, yes, and they've just formed a new group, giving LGBT a voice, So, um, and I'm part of that group. Mm-hmm. So yeah, awesome. quite involved. Well, without further ado, we're going to be playing our. This is the the next uh, the next segment in the show is to do with um, LGBT with Alistair, and he's chats to two people from the organisation about uh, the the ramifications and, and 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 what people go through that yeah. they'll deal with their organisation. And it's a it's a fantastic interview. As I say, I tweeted about this last night while I was out, yeah. it? and it's really really interesting. So uh, uh, let's have. I'll let you guys have a listen, uh, and thank you for tuning in. This is Mentally Sound right here on Gravity Radio Northeast. Well, hello, and today we are at Mesmac, and this, we've just finished a meeting of the group Pride in Mind, and I'm here with um, two of the facilitators, uh, Marcia Ash and Mish Lorraine, and uh, I wonder if you would tell me a little bit about what is Pride in Mind and uh, what needs does it address? Well, Pride in Mind is a social and support group for anyone who's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or questioning who lives in the northeast of England and has a diagnosis of mental health problem or identifies as having a mental health problem. And there was a group which met the specifically came to people from Newcastle for a number of years and that naturally and someone's course through. There was a little gap in provision for a while and myself and Alistair and Andrew Godscott who works for the local 
NHS mental health trust and um, set up Pride in Mind because we identified there was a real need for something that gave people with LGBT who had acquired as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and had mental, pro- mental health problems, both a social outlet and some support because people face double discrimination. They face the stigma of having a mental health problem, but also quite often on a daily basis had to address the issue of homophobia in their daily life. Okay. Now, I understand, Marcia, that uh, you've done quite a lot of research in this field. So, what do you think are the, the what would you say is the nature of the mental health problems um, specific to the LGBTQI communities? Or what, what issues are, are coming through the most? I think, what, I think one of the most um, troubling is the actual higher rates of mental health issues right, right across the board with mental health. Mm-hmm. And additionally, or it could be together with, but not necessarily so, higher rates of suicide, right. attempts, ideation, mm-hmm. and, um, and successful completion. Right. So those, those, um, those rates are troubling. And I think that living in what we call a heteronormative society means that the world is set up so that often people who may not have necessarily struggled with uh, sexuality but when it comes to dealing with a mental health issue and they have to do the series of comings out and coming out and history taking Mm -hmm. and the reception that people get when they do that with health professionals and what happens is that people become very, very, very isolated. The commercial scene is very much about drink, drugs, partying and if you're not quite in a partying mood, where do you go? And I think that in terms of, and especially where, where we are now, there's a lot of young people who really, really struggle, um, particularly around um, suicide and um, being LGBT. I think there's also, I think there's an, a, a big assumption that, you know, if you're gay, then, you know, what you do is, I remember doing some research and it was one of the quotes was, you know, if you're gay, you, you know, it's assumed that you take loads of drugs and you do dis- disco dancing every night. And, you know, that's what it means to be gay. And, um, and it's almost like we're in this lump together. And if we're in a lump together, being LGBT, we might as well be in a lump together in a nice room talking about what's going on for us and because I think that we're lacking in places we're really really lacking in places where you can go to perhaps get signposting or support and often sometimes people people's sexuality is still diagnosed as a as a label of some sort which you know puts people into other boxes where they can't then access you know, the support that they need. 
Okay, so returning to the mission's point about there being a kind of double discrimination, because yeah. we all know there's yeah. discrimination attached to having a mental health problem, and there's also discrimination on minds, homophobia or transphobia, mm-hmm. etc. But you're actually saying there are, there's also more complicating factors. So there's, there's the, the difficulty of living in a, uh, a world where the default option is straight, mm-hmm. uh, and there's also the difficulty of living in a world where the default identity for being gay is itself a bit troubling because it's about um, it, you know the stereotype is is the the party and drug taking disco side of things. So obviously that that's a a knotty set of issues in there, but on top of that. You've got the difficulty, I guess. Is it, how do you think the the LGBT scene handles people who've got mental health problems? I think there's a similarity of the what we would call heterosexual society. Right. Just ignore them. Right. <laughs> leave, leave, leave them at home in the bed under the duvet, and let's not bother with them. You know, I, I you know, and people lose friends and support systems. Uh, people are frightened still of mental health. Well, certainly that's had a lot of group members who come and are disillusioned with the gay scene and they've either outlived it or decided they want to stop drinking and the drug taking and the aspects of that lifestyle. Mm. And we particularly we identified that early on in the group and so we've tailored the social aspect to not have a reliance on drinking and dancing and sort of or have meals out where people can choose to drink alcohol if like or have a soft drink. We have outings to the theatre and to comedy nights and to the cinema to, to go and see anything which either has an LGBT theme or has a mental health theme. We've took a group to see various films including Milk about Harvey Milk many years ago. And last year we went to see the film Pride. We've also went to see various theatre productions, such as Locadio Fall and a production of Beautiful Thing. And we also um, took the group to see a local playwrights play, Collector of Tears, because it's nice in Townside. So that takes some people away from the gay scene, but also takes quite a lot of our group members who felt isolated and socially excluded out into events in the local community and, and give them some social contact and support. Right, and it allows people to explore all aspects of their, their personality. There's the, 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 the bits which relate to mental health, there's the bits which relate to their um, LGBTQI identities, but also there's the bits which are just of interest, cultural, social, just part of being human. Yeah. And um, have you got any particular direction in which you, you hope the group will go? I think from what I understand the group is the group is who the group is. Right. So the group wherever the group is at this moment in time is deciding where it's going rather than it being to facilitator led. That's what I understand. Um, but I do think that we've got a couple of core members which who can help us um, decide and I think where, where we're at with the group I understand is that we're wanting to expand a little bit so if there are people who want a group that can um, accommodate their needs then we, we can perhaps bring that in 
Um, but we do have a we have a, we have a bit of a structure even at the moment. So, I mean, our structure is that we we talk about things that are important to us. So it might be business or things that are going on or things that we're being able to lobby or being having activism in mental health circles at the moment, which is really exciting because mm-hmm. we've been able to bash on some doors and open doors in public health, etc. So we've got that. We've got conferences. A conference coming up after a conference we just had. Um, so we talk about that kind of business stuff, and then once we've done about the business, we then um, open it up so that people can talk about their feelings and where they're at at the moment, and if they want to get something off the chest, or they're looking for a signpost or a direction. And that sounds very flexible. So you've got activism, a bit of trainings, and conferences. You've got some practical stuff. Um, and then also people opening up and just sharing their experiences in it in atmosphere of mutual support. And what I'd be right in saying it's um, very much led by service users. It, it's steered, and the direction it takes is 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 very much framed by the members. Absolutely, I'd like, I'd like to think we're pretty much user-led, but I think people also find it a safe space. It was really encouraging to be able to see two new members, but being able to feel so comfortable in the surroundings with the PS support and the support facilitators, they were able to open up straight away and talk about their issues and receive some support, which was really hard okay. I think also with that as well is just watching people immediately support each other. And also offering signposts. And the minute they get here and saying, you know, is there any chance we can, you know, words of effect, you know, is there going to be anything after today? And then that prompts us into going, okay, we're going to go and have some food, yeah. you know, uh, in, in, in a few weeks' time. So having, having sat in on this session, it struck me that um, you're very flexible, you're moving in different directions, and um, things were... Um, were not being steered in any particular direction. They, they seemed to go with a natural flow the way that the members were uh, and the people who came along wanted it to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so how would anybody interested um, get involved with Pride in Mind? Well, at the moment we'll meet regularly on the first Thursday of each month in okay. Medmac. And Medmac is in central Newcastle on Nelson Street? 11, yes. 11 Nelson 11 Street. 11 Nelson Street. And that's 11, and, and we start at 11 and go on till 1. Okay. So that's a lot of ones. <laughs> <laughs> 11 till 1 at 11 Nelson Street yeah. on the first Thursday of each, of each month. Okay. And uh, we'll attempt to get uh, on the website um, the contact details for, uh, for Mission Marcia as well. Um, and, but... Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to give my email out right now. Okay. Um, so it's marcia.ash.ntlp at gmail.com. Mish, which is spelled M-I-S-H. Mish, which is spelled, comes from our name. Mish, which is spelled M-I-S-H dot dot Okay, and I know you've got lots of activities planned for the forthcoming uh, 
few months and I think there'll be a presence of pride. So there'll be a present surprise and also if if people are interested, next month we've got a slight change of um, activity because we're going out for something to eat, we're having a brunch rather than meeting here at 11 o'clock. So we're going to meet at um, Pizza Express for 11 o'clock. Um, it's a one-off, we usually do meet, but we thought we'd have a nice brunch and then come back here for a little chat afterwards. Um, so that's, we've got um, pride in mind. We've got partnership work that we're doing with um, National Mind and um, PACE, where there's going to be a mental health conference that is going to come to the northeast. I haven't got any dates on that at the moment, but also the other partnership work that we're doing with um, um, Timeside Mind, mm -hmm. where we're looking to get the opinions and um, direction from uh, LGBTQI service users who want to design, let's say, a, a, a weekly support group which could involve courses and access to courses. So we've, we've got that going on at the moment. So if anybody wants to talk to us about that, that work, then that would be great. That sounds marvellous, and uh, more more parties of both of the pair of you. And, uh, so, just to recap, if anyone is interested in getting involved with Pride of Mind or would like to find out more, uh, you can contact Mish Lorraine or Marcia Ash, or indeed Alistair Cameron at Launchpad, and we'll try, try and get all of those details up on the website. Excellent. Thanks. Do mentally sound here on Gravity Radio Northeast. That was Beyonce, crazy in love. Are you crazy in love right now, Carol? I certainly yes, am. Yes, I am with myself. <laughs> <laughs> I love myself. <laughs> I love myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, cool. Um, um, apologies if there, uh, we're, we're trying to determine if there's another show on after this because we're running a little bit behind. We started at uh, about five past. Uh, setting stuff up so if you're tuning into uh, at four o'clock something we're running a tiny bit behind uh, but only by about 10 minutes or so um so apologies uh, for that i just wanted to say uh, and that's an act of professionalism um uh, but we're trying to crowbar in because we have a, a extra special guest that we weren't expecting to come or maybe we were and i've completely forgot um but we have in the studio right now it's ricky isn't it i believe um hello ricky nice for you um if you could just be closer to the mic for some bizarre reason that mic's not uh, being being yeah, you sound better now. Cool. Um, so, do you want to um, explain a little bit about yourself and and, and why you're here, etc.? Well, why are you here? What's the meaning of life, Ricky? <laughs> How many <joking>? <laughs> 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 you get Monty Python Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, right, my, I'm Ricky. I'm in my. I'm based in the West End of Newcastle. Um, I first met Gareth along with uh, the Mental Health Northeast team mm -hmm. back in the Mental Health uh, Day back in Newcastle which I think was back in October and it was sort of the event down at the monument yep. mm. and I just felt that because um, I'm recovering from a breakdown myself but I just felt that I really needed to get my teeth into something in terms of activism and raising further awareness mm -hmm. and I was floating an idea for a long time about setting up a support group in the West End which is currently going quite well I've got a lot of uh, groups and networking 
But I'm here today to talk a little bit about um, mental health in the workplace, which I know you guys will talk a bit about. Yeah, we had a segment at the beginning with Scott talking about mental health. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, what do you thought? I mean, I'm mean, sorry to elaborate on that on that point. Is that what do you think in relation to how mental health is tackled at work, and and from your perspective? In my, my perspective, I think you know to look at it on a broad level as well. It's I think it's something really imperative that we um, get out there. You know, they're trying to get people back into work who've suffered various mental health issues. And I think in order to do that, it's, imp- it's, it's imp- imperative, again, to create an environment where your employers or your colleagues are aware of such matters. And I'm not saying it's, you know, we're raising a big sympathy thing here, but if we can sort of you know, uh, create an environment where people can adapt and work well, then, then of course. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what's your take, Carol? I mean, because I mean, I've had experiences, but I want to know what you think. Um, well, I've had my own mental health issues and worked for many years, and um, having a very supportive manager and line manager is very beneficial, and also work colleagues that understand what you're going through and don't mm. think it's a ha ha he joke. It's yeah. you know something to be taken quite seriously, Absolutely. mental health, and that you need support when you're down, mm-hmm. and to appreciate you when you are doing your best. Yeah. And, um, you know, just to encourage you, oh, that's really nice that you're doing well so far and that you're doing well today. You just need that encouragement or going to work is just going to become quite tiresome, quite boring and quite monotonous. And also the worst thing you can do is to persevere. Uh, I find is that if you, if you, t- if you t- turn around to someone who you work for and say, I have a mental health issue and they don't treat it seriously, it, the worst thing they can possibly do, not just for... It's the selfish reason of the productivity that you create for the company that you work for, whatever it may be, but also the, your individual health, that's when you start really suffering and, and mm. can lead to long-term, from short-term to long-term, by just persevering when that's the last thing you should be doing. I mean, I mean, what do you? what's your take, Ricky, in terms of, you know, because I, I once uh, listened to an interview that Stephen Fry did where he was talking about, you know, maybe we should look at the perspective of how many... Um, how many uh, you know production days we lose from people being too ill to to be productive, and look at maybe treating more seriously that we have more time off. I mean, I think I'm right in saying we are the least with the people with the least amount of time off in the in Europe. Um, so, do you think it's an element of we should have more time off, or do you, and do you think do you think we should be more lenient with getting off? Just how you can be adaptive. Um, I know that I know people do work at home. I mean, if I lose. I was at work through not feeling very well. Yeah. If there's any chance I can make it up at home, then I can do. But not everyone has that luxury. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I work in design, so I've got I've got a PC at home, and I've got my I've got various sort of things I can do at home. I think it's a case of if if employers can can talk to the various workers and find out what's good for them, what's not good for mm-hmm. them. I'm sure within their constraints, it's something that they can work out. Yeah. Um, in my experience. Um, we sh- recently we had in back in February we had the time to talk um, initiative to you know talk yeah. about with colleagues uh-huh. and for me it was a rev- revelation of what people were telling me um, a colleague I've known for years and years and years um, just admitted just told me there and then about uh, his wife's really bad OCD um, and he was able to talk about that and we were able to share over a cup of tea and it was and another colleague a builder who works upstairs was able to tell me about how his how his kid was getting bullied and how he was con- considering suicide 
actually going online and looking up ways to do this and the, the poor, poor guy's only like he's only like 13, 14 years old yeah yeah so Sorry. it doesn't matter what atmosphere it is mm-hmm. whether it's whether it's across a meal or in a pub but I think a workplace environment you'd be surprised at what, what revelations can come across and we all you know, as a, the time to talk we'll you know, encourage people to open up yeah. Well, it's great. I'm sorry it's been such a cameo, but we're really pressed for time. But I mean, I, I think obviously, I think to me it would be the most sensible question for me to ask. Like, I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, you've, you're going through some stuff. I mean, how are you? How are you feeling now? Are you feeling? I'm getting there. Um, I'm not coping very well in this heat. I have to be honest. Yeah, I know it's boiling in here. We're trying our best we can, but I mean, generally, I, I, my anxiety means I don't get on well with heat as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm of a hint Indian background. And <laughs> I have to avoid things like spices. We don't we don't do stereotypes on this show. Yeah. Like, um, uh, but yeah, that's that's very funny. Um, but yeah, um, no, it's all, uh, yeah, it is particularly boiling in here. But we're trying the best we can. But um, no, right. but, uh, but thanks so much for for coming for coming to, for a brief cameo on the thing. And um, good luck with everything. And I'm glad to hear you you're, you're, you're trying to do well. I hope um, you'll come again, Ricky. That's yeah, really yeah. Good. You're welcome anytime. Thank you very much. Cheers. Um, but yeah, finally, we're going to quickly do the last segment which I know that um, Carol it's good for Carol to mention because it's to do with Steve and it's a really really important subject so I want you to, to, to mention yeah, it yes. Steve Adrissel the interview that I did it was um, how he's coping with his depression and um, the wonderful things that has come to him in his life through his depression what we're talking about looking at the positives that creativity that comes about when you're depressed I think this um, interview will reiterate what we've been talking about yeah and it's obviously a, a subject that's very difficult to talk about so it's all good it's a good way to end the show I think yeah. so we're going to play that and then we're going to quickly come back and say bye and then that'll be the end so this is uh, our Carol's interview with uh, Steve about, about self-harm and various other things and it's a really great quite positive interview uh, so. hello Steve I'm Carol you don't mind if I call you Steve, do you? No, no, that's fine. That's fine. Um, the first question I'd like to ask you, how long have you been suffering from your mental illness? Um, since about the age of 14. I'm 46 now, and it's just become a way of life, really, to me. It's quite a long time, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've had quite a tough life, I suppose, but I'm looking at life more positively now. That's very good. A tough life in what way? Um, in what way? Well, apart from the illness of the anxiety and depression, I've also been through cancer treatment, oh, well. which was very tough. I mean, with that, it was five operations, and I had radiotherapy and stuff. And plus, I had a bit of a, a difficult few teenage years, yes. as I was being abused by somebody and couldn't tell anybody, and I started self-harming, and I self-harmed for over 20 years. But yet again, I've overcome it and That's living fantastic. a positive life now. That's fantastic. There's a lot of trauma going on there. So, what is your diagnosis? I'm actually diagnosed with acute anxiety and depression, and I take medication for it um, in the morning, in the afternoon, and at night. But at one time, I'd look at the medication as a negative thing. I would let that rule my life. But now I actually rule the medication, I live my life around it. Whereas at one time when I was taking tablets, I thought I couldn't function. But now um, I suppose I'm defying odds. I'm just proving, proving people wrong that I can do things and that I am capable of doing things. That's excellent. 
So the medication you've explained affects your daily life. This touches on the point I was going to ask you next. Yeah. How does it affect your daily life having to take this medication? Um, well, just for example, I take Transdone at night and you can guarantee I take it at 7 o'clock at night and by half past 7 I can barely function. I mean, I'm disorientated, dizzy. Yeah. Um, I walk upstairs to bed and I've got to hold on to the handrail. But to me, um, that's a part of my life. I mean, for the rest of the day, I'm fully active. I'm doing stuff I enjoy. I'm doing stuff that I didn't think I was capable of. And to me, if you've got a headache, you take a tablet for it. So I've got depression and anxiety, so I take medication for it. Indeed. So what would happen if you didn't take that medication? If I didn't take that medication, I'd probably go back to square one and start self-harming. I mean, I abused alcohol as well for over 30 years. And, I mean, that was just, I didn't know any different. And people say that they're happy in life, but to me, what is happiness? Mm. I think life's what you make it. And everybody, if somebody says they're happy and I said I was happy, I've probably got a different happiness to them, if you know what I mean, because what is happiness? It's a way of coping, though, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Everyone's got a different way of coping. Yeah, I think it's, it's like that saying. Happiness. It's like that saying, isn't it? Um, life's what you make it, I think. Indeed. And... I just look at the things that I'm doing. And people will say to me, how do I get enjoyment out of it? I get enjoyment out of my day-to-day life because I'm doing things that I didn't think I was capable of. And mm-hmm. in the past, I used to think with such a negative attitude, and if I yeah. was asked to do something, if I didn't know what it was, I'd automatically say no. Yeah. But now I like to challenge myself, and I say mm-hmm. yes and give it a go. Oh, that's really good. You know, look at all those positives that are coming out. So how does this condition help you to progress in life? Because to where you are today, so now you're doing some well, wonderful things. Well, in 2005, when I went through the cancer treatment, well, by the way, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I was actually over the moon because I'd been self-harming and trying to end my life for over 20 wow. years. And that diagnosis, I thought I haven't got any choice now, so I'll probably finally get my wish. But something, some light turned on in my head, I think, and what I'm doing now in life is I'm using all the the heartbreak and hardship I've had in life and turned into something positive. Indeed. And, like, I work with social workers at Northumbria University and I'm having a say in the future mm-hmm. through all the bad stuff I've been through in the past. Yeah. So I'm using me, me illness and hard times in my life to do something creative with it. Brilliant. Mm. So you're helping to train our future to social workers, something yeah. professional. That's a really good job. So you're sort of lecturing now, aren't you? Yeah. At the university. Yeah. What a champion. And I mean, as well, you know, um, say in lecturing at the university, I actually run self-harm awareness sessions at the university as well. And I mean, that's turning something negative into something positive. And the last session I did was in front of 95 students. And whereas at one time, I'd get me buzz from alcohol and taking, like, recreational drugs. Now, standing up in front of 95 people, that's me buzz. Yes. (laughs) I didn't know that. That's a little extra nugget for me. So, um, how do you feel today coping with your illness? How has it helped you to cope this job and what, what you're doing I think today? the job that I'm doing at the minute, it's sort of freelancing mental health, but I've got a colleague, Alistair Cameron, who just gives me, supports me, even though he doesn't, he doesn't actually realise he's supporting me. And mm. like I say, I don't officially receive support. I was in supported housing for four years after the cancer treatment. Mm. But now, the people that I work with, they're my support. Mm-hmm. my support network and I've always got somebody there to talk to and if I'm feeling a bit down or having a bad day I don't have to explain myself to people because That's everybody it. I work with understands who I am so that makes a whole lot of difference doesn't it at work if people know where you're coming from they've got 
mental health issues themselves, although no understand it, that can be half the battle definitely because if you're in put in a situation where people don't understand you and don't know why you're feeling sad or why you're feeling a bit down or why you, you, you're backing off just for that moment or for that day, it can be very difficult to work with people like that and not enjoyable. But it makes it twice as hard for yourself as well because you have to explain a situation before you're actually doing what you're asked to do. Yes, over and over again. Yeah, definitely. You almost become like a, a tape recorder and like people are not taking you seriously. Yeah. I found that myself at work. What are the downsides to your condition? I suppose the downside is some days I'm in a very dark place with the depression and get very negative feelings and negative thoughts, but I've learned through pushing myself to turn them negative feelings into something positive, and mm. now, instead of letting the depression get to me, I look forward to all the good stuff I've got coming up in my life and the challenges I've got such as it could be teaching something at university, doing a lecture on something I've never done, and that's my sort of, it pushes me. Yes. So, final last two questions. Um, this challenge that says pushes you, how could you get somebody else? What would you give them to tell them to push themselves if they were feeling in a dark place and learning, didn't know how to cope with the depression? Well, I think if you're in a dark place where I've been, so this is um, living proof here, if you're in a dark place and you get asked to do something, instead of automatically saying no, push yourself out of your comfort zone, try new things, and yeah. you'll never believe, but if you try something, you might actually enjoy it. And I mean, I was asked to, believe it or not, to do a speech in the House of Lords. Yeah. And at this point in my life, I wouldn't come out, I wouldn't speak to anybody. But I just said yes, and it was that challenge of trying something new. And I did that speech, and I've never looked back since. So that was going to be my last question. Oh, right, sorry. <laughs> but it doesn't matter, I'm yeah. really pleased, because yeah, I was going to ask you, what nuggets would you give our viewers that are listening out there? Just go for it. Nobody's better than you. We've all got hidden talents, and by trying new things, you might find out what your talent is. And who knows, one day you could be standing there at the university teaching, because if you'd have asked me ten years ago, and or told me ten years ago that I'd be standing up teaching at university, I would have said, impossible. But, like I say, nothing in life is impossible to me now. Yeah. So, others should feel likewise. That's wonderful. So, you heard that, viewers. You could be out there listening, and in a year or two, you could be joining Steve. Definitely. Right here on the radio, or right at the university teaching and Definitely. sharing your own experience and feeling the wonderful effects of change and getting involved with an organisation like Launchpad. Thanking Alistair Cameron for all that he's done for yeah. both of us and Definitely. many others out there. So thank you, Steve. Thank you very much, Carol. It's thank been you. a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, guys, we're back in the studio and we're going to say goodbye. Um, thank you so much for everyone for tuning in to Mentally Sound here on Gravity Radio Northeast. Thank, thank you. you very much. Uh, you enjoyed the show, Carol? I did indeed. Thank yeah. you so much, Jules. That's next to me. Yeah. And thank you so much. For thanks to Gareth. Thanks. I, want to, I want to say thank you to Ricky because he's brilliant, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, Ricky was awesome. Thank you for the cameo. Thank you for Peter. Thank you to everyone involved. Thank you for all the segments. Um, Andrew's coming up next. Uh, Going to be uh, 70s man to play some tunes and whatnot. So um, uh, we'll be passing you on to him. Uh, thank you so much, Carol. Uh, thanks for being a, such a great co-host as usual. Um, if you want to talk to us, we can studio at gravityradio.co.uk. Follow us on Twitter, which is at underscore mentally sound. Uh, thank you so much, guys, and we'll see you very soon.